You know, as a, a pastor, one of the honors and privileges we have is to officiate at many weddings. I was thinking about it. I've been a pastor now for 18 years, just about, and uh, I'm going to guess anywhere from eight to 15 weddings a year. That's a lot of weddings. And if you ask me to name all of the couples that I've married over the years, there's no way I could do it. There's a lot of couples and a lot of weddings. But um, some of them are more memorable than others. I'm just going to say it. You know, a lot of times brides and grooms are praying that the wedding would go off perfectly so that it would be memorable. And I'm here to tell you that usually those aren't the memorable ones. The ones that don't go off per- perfectly are the ones that are memorable. Here's an example. Um, some years ago, not here, but at a former congregation, I married a couple, and the groom um, that this young lady had met, just a really attractive couple, uh, he was from New York, and his family was from New York. And I won't go into nationalities or anything like that, but um, uh, his brother, the best man, I seem to remember his name was Vito. And, and Vito was a big guy, and, and he had this kind of New Jersey accent kind of thing, and and uh, it was a really exciting day for the wedding, and, and they're all standing up there, just this gorgeous couple, great-looking wedding party, and, and going on with the service. We go through uh, the, uh, the vows, and everything's going well. And uh, get done with that, the blessing, the unity candle thing, and, and the pronouncement of the bride and the groom, introducing them to the, the, the congregation, and, and the music starts, and they make their way out. And that's when I heard Vito. Vito's looking at me with these big eyes, flexing his muscles. He's like, you forgot the wings. You forgot the wings. And I'm thinking to myself, wings, wings. Like, is that going to be served at the reception? I, I didn't, I, well, I'm not in charge of chicken wings. And, and then I understand. It's like, rings, rings. Like, oh, oh. And, and, and they're already down the aisle. He's like, you forgot the wings. And I'm thinking, This guy's come all the way from New York. He's been waiting his entire life to be the best man at his brother's wedding. His big moment was to hand over the rings. And I left it out. He's mad. We get outside in the the lobby. He comes up to me, puts his finger in my chest, pushing me back. You forgot the wings. You forgot the wings. And I'm thinking, till death do us part, just took on a whole new meaning for me as a pastor and thinking I'm going to have a hit out on me over this thing. And um, good news is we figured out to do it just before they got in the limo on the front steps. It was a beautiful day. Worked out great. But you know what? So it goes with weddings. And, And so we come to talking about marriage. You know, God has established marriage. And that, that phrase, till death do us part, which forms the title of our message today, uh, marriage 101. Um, we already heard it in, in Jesus' words in the gospel reading today that uh, contrary to really popular view on this is that marriage really is for this world and for this lifetime here while we are here. Heaven, there's a different arrangement God has established for us. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute. And doesn't mean we won't have a relationship or a special connection to our spouse or, or someone we spent time with in this world. But to imagine the closeness of that relationship and that companionship and to realize that in heaven, in an unhindered way, that marriage relationship with the bridegroom, Jesus, takes on an even greater significance in heaven and that fulfillment that we get a taste of here today. That that is the ultimate relationship is with Jesus. Uh, In the meantime, uh, what's it look like to have a marriage here? 
And what's that all about? And relationships and how that plays out. Uh, We heard about it in Ephesians chapter 5, one of the great marriage texts of God's word where Paul lays out what that marriage relationship looks like, a husband and a wife in their relationship with each other. But before I go further into that, I want to just find out, are there any pro wrestling fans among us? Or any of that would at least admit it. Ryan, you are a brave man. So um, if I were to say, what does a submission hold look like? Um, I'm not going to ask you to come up here, but generally in wrestling, there's something called a submission hold. And, and it's where one wrestler takes control and, and power and ultimate authority over the other wrestler. Um, it, it's a hold where that other wrestler is powerless, has no ability to uh, really do anything. They're overpowered by the other. That's a submission hold. And and it makes sense then why that word submission, for many people, has a very negative context to it. And and then guys get all excited because Paul lays it out. Uh, God's word, the mandate, and, and I want to read it to you. It says it this way. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. As you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That is awesome. <laughs> and the way it can play out, it looks kind of like this. So, um, so your wife... Um, she plans this wonderful evening and tells you ahead of time, hey, I, I just want you to know I, I made reservations for us on Friday night. Um, I've set up a babysitter for the kids. Um, make sure there's no other plans. We are going out, honey. And uh, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, honey, sounds great. And, and the week goes on, and, and Thursday rolls around, and, and then Friday morning rolls around, and you're getting texts from your buddies, and they're saying, hey, we're, we're going to have a guy's night tonight. We're, you know, the big game's on tonight, and... And uh, we're going to go bowling, and then we're going to go and, and watch the game. And, and you're in, right? You're like, uh, yeah, I'm in. Of course I'm in. I'm, I'll be there. And, and you get home, and your wife says, okay, you're ready to go. The babysitter's just about here. And you're like, you know what? Um, here's the deal. I, I've got other plans tonight. Um, I'm going to be going bowling with the guys. We're going to go watch the game. She's like, but we, you promised me we're going to go out tonight. And that's where you say, you know what, honey? This is what the good book says. God says, you need to submit to me. I've changed my plans. Too bad. So sad. And that's where till death do us part also takes on greater meaning. (laughs) Right? Is that what this means? Of course not. And yet the idea of submission, what does it mean? The idea of submitting is not culturally relevant or seemingly appropriate. And and could it be it's because we got it all misunderstood. What it really means to submit or to be submissive. You know, I actually read that verse out of context. Because actually, as we find out, that's verse 22 that I started with in Ephesians 5. If you want to look at it in your worship folder or in the scripture... Verse 21 actually begins this section, ultimately. And verse 22, that word submit or submission actually isn't even in the original Greek. Uh, Here's what it actually says literally. It's, It's starting with verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
wives as to, the, to your husbands as to the Lord. It doesn't say submit, but it's implied. But the context is important. It says submit to what? One another. Out of reverence for Christ. This is a, a section of scripture where Paul lays out relationships, and, and this is really a, a heading here of out of reverence for Christ, submission to one another, male, female, submission, and, and not just in the marriage relationship to a, a husband and a wife, but he goes on to talk about uh, that submission out of reverence for Christ and, and that relationship with a child and a parent or a parent to a child. That same kind of submission and relevance to an employer and an employee. This whole section starts to lay this out. That what's going on here is at a deeper level and culturally something we've maybe lost. Because for most of us when we approach relationships as our culture has taught us, it really is about us getting our needs met. It's about us gaining happiness, about us being content and, and feeling fulfilled in relationships. I mean, just think about how we go about it. And Pastor Steve did a phenomenal job last weekend. If you didn't hear that message, watch it or listen to it online. It, it spells out, you know, choosing a life partner and what that looks like and the importance and relevance of one who knows Jesus and how that takes a relationship to a whole new level. And that is important for us here today. Marriage 101 starts with what does submission mean? If you thought... It means to lose all control or power or be powerless. We got the wrong idea. It actually finds its meaning in a different kind of way, intentionally. And uh, to get an idea of that, I want to turn to another place where Paul talks about what this can look like. And it's in the book of Philippians. I'm going to read this with you from Philippians chapter 2. Why don't you read it with me? Um, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, the mindset here is out of love for Christ and reverence for what Jesus has done for us. It's more about servanthood. It's more about humility. It's more about approaching our relationships, realizing it's not about what I can get out of this relationship so much as what God has enabled me to give. And that's really tough, husband or wife. Really tough. Because we're not naturally wired that way in and of ourselves. I will tell you this, full disclosure, I have not been the easiest guy to be married to. Um, that can be funny if you want it to be, right? Um, Shane and I have been married for almost 22 years, and I'm not the easiest guy to be married to. I'm not. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, she is not the easiest woman to be married to either. And, and she'd be okay with me saying that, because here's the deal. Our dynamics, we're, we're both the youngest in our families, so the entitlement issue being the, the youngest, you know, and put that into a relationship where we're, we're stubborn, we like things the way we want them, and you put that into a relationship, our, our marriage has been tough, really tough. And there have been many times where we have needed to stop, pause, and recalibrate and get help in our relationship. Um, I am a huge advocate of marriage counseling in the biggest way. Saved our marriage again and again. 
um, because of the brokenness that each of us bring to our marriage. Um, but here's what I've learned. I've learned this about myself and the dynamics of our marriage in, in relationship to a verse like this. Um, what I tend to notice is that you know when, when our marriage is healthy, or I should say unhealthy, what, what tends to happen, if you can picture this is me, this is Shane, is, is here we are in a relationship and we, we both are kind of doing our own thing independently. And, and what I tend to notice is if, if she starts to seemingly, maybe she's in a bad mood one day or she says something to me and, and I take it really personally and so what I start to wonder is maybe she doesn't love me anymore and, and my, my tendency is actually I start to bend toward her in, in insecurity, in, in neediness, in fear. And, and what happens actually in the dynamics, and again, a great counselor helped me to understand this and figure this out, is the more I bend in neediness and in insecurity toward, toward Shane, guess what happens is it actually pushes her away even further. Uh, what we've learned is when our marriage is in a healthy place, is that it looks very different. It's not like this. It's actually more like two people who are then leaning toward each other. And what visually has grown in our understanding is in between us then is actually we're not touching. What's in between us is the cross of Jesus. A relationship that's founded in a strength where we're not leaning on each other. We're actually leaning on Christ. Christ who is the fulfillment of, of self-esteem. The one who reminds each of us that we are loved that we are forgiven, that we belong to him, that our identity is based in him. Because here's the deal. No human relationship can ever replace a relationship with God. If you've idolized relationships in your life, they will be unhealthy. If you base your hope for happiness and fulfillment in a human being, they will let you down. They will fail you again and again. God has wired us to have a relationship first and foremost with him. In order to lean on Christ, in order that we might lean toward each other. Um, that's what I've learned. And it makes all the difference. That's where we look back at the text and it, and it says, your wives then submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. What, what does that mean? Does that mean like that first example? Like, okay, he can do whatever he wants. Quite the opposite. We're going to deal with him in a minute. <laughs> but what it does mean is recognizing God has established in every household that uh, the husband would be a spiritual leader. And guys, that's a calling. We'll get to that, like I say, in a moment. But to recognize, to respect your husband to love him, to uphold him, to speak well of him, to honor him, uh, to serve him as one that God has put in his life uh, in reverence for Jesus with that lens of Christ to say, yeah, but my husband doesn't deserve it. Nope, he doesn't, and he never will. But out of calling in Jesus, in the one who has loved us first and best, to love your husband as Christ has first loved you. That is an incredible calling. And you know what? It's less about us and it's more about Jesus. As Pastor Steve quoted it from the book Sacred Marriage, what if God established marriage not to make us happy but to make us holy? And that is a pretty profound thought. 
that God establishes relationships to help us to zero in more on Jesus. Because people will let us down. Those closest to us will. Whether it's a marriage relationship, a friendship, family relationships beyond that, or any relationship. God has established us first to find our strength, our security in him. Now, now he goes on. And husbands, listen up. Husbands, now love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay, what's that mean? Husbands, you say, well, my wife doesn't deserve my mutual submission. She doesn't deserve my servanthood. I mean, she doesn't follow through. She messes up everything. And you say, well, oh, kind of like the church, right? I was thinking about this. I have a friend of mine who went to St. Louis Seminary, and, and he once in a while would quote a seminary professor down there that whenever he opens the scriptures to study uh, God's church, us, his people, he says, gentlemen, we're going to peel back the bride of Christ today. And as we take a closer look at her, warts and all, I want you to approach her with respect. As ugly as she is, this is the one God loves. I love that perspective. Because when Jesus loves the church, he doesn't love us because we deserve it. He doesn't love us because we've cleaned up our act or that we're some beautiful person and, and that we get everything all, all in, in line. No. <laughs> Warts and all, Jesus loves us. And God calls us as husbands to love our wives no matter what, to love them faithfully, to be committed to them in our mind and our thoughts, even in where we look and what we see, to see them as the bride that Jesus has given us and to love them as Christ has loved the church unconditionally, fully, sacrificially, being willing to give, lay down our lives for them if it comes to that, to be that faithful to our wives as Christ has first loved us out of reverence for Jesus. And I would like to submit to you or suggest that I don't know too many women who if they were loved in that kind of way wouldn't be fully submissive to that kind of love in servanthood to each other as God attended it. It's a beautiful picture, but it continues to find definition in how Jesus approaches us as his bride. You know, I love this, this thought. I, I, same friend, he, he once did a wedding, and I remember him telling me this. He, he said that at the wedding, um, it was a couple, and, and you know, some couples, they're kind of Ken and Barbie kind of couples, right? Just Hollywood kind of stuff. And he says, I married this couple, and he said, they weren't they weren't necessarily what you would call culturally very beautiful or handsome. And he said, as, as the bride came down the way, um, she was, you know, looking as, as good as she could. And, and, and halfway down the aisle, she let out a belch. And, and he said, and, and, and everybody heard it. it. It was so noticeable. People started laughing uncomfortably, embarrassed, and, and it was very uncomfortable and awkward. And, and she just started to turn red, beat red in embarrassment. And, and, and my friend Chris, he says, at that moment as pastor officiating, I'm feeling really sorry for the groom, wondering, does he realize what he's getting into? Is he sure about this? And he said that lasted just a few seconds. Because as he turned and he looked over at the groom, 
He didn't see the bride any longer the way the culture would see it. He saw it through the eyes of a groom who saw nothing but the woman that he loves. That he was head over heels in love with. That he was so excited to marry and make her his bride for their lifetime. He says, I now understood what it was in that moment to truly love. Warts and all. You know, to think that God looks at each of us. And he loves us. Warts and all. We are his bride. And he's called us to love one another out of reverence for the one who loves us first. To be healthy in our relationships. Leaning on Jesus as the center of it all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a difference it can make when our security and our sense of self-esteem has its roots and its beginnings not in another person, but rather in our relationship with you as Almighty God, a Savior who has come near to show us sacrificial, unconditional, redeeming love in our lives. To know, Lord, that that same love redefines who we are, not just for this lifetime, but for eternity. And Lord, in that relationship to then turn toward others that you've given us, a husband or a wife, a child, a family member, a friend or neighbor or others in our own church family, and to be able to love them in healthy ways, not bending toward them in reliance and neediness, but rather, Lord, in a confidence that comes first and foremost by who we are in you, and to be able then to, in mutual submission out of reverence for Christ, serve and love them as you have first loved us. Lord, continue to define our relationships more and more. In light of that, we pray as you are here. In Jesus' name, amen.